Welcome to Journey Through the Bible with Joshua Smith. The Bible is the single most important book in history. It is the very words of God put on paper. In this podcast, we will walk through the pages of His Word as we seek to understand His message to us. In Isaiah 55:11, God says, My word that proceeds from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper where I send it. As we study His Word, He will accomplish within us what He desires. That is our prayer. That is the journey. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Journey Through the Bible. Uh, This is episode 5. We've been spending time in Matthew. And so today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. And it says this, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. I want you to follow me back to the first century. You're on a boat, and a rabbi, or a teacher, comes up to you and tells you to follow him. This would not be unusual for the day. The teachers of the law and prophets of Israel in those days made a habit of collecting disciples or people who would follow them and learn from them with the intention of continuing the rabbi's teaching beyond one person's reach. That was normal. That would not have been out of place. These men on the boat would have been aware of this practice. What would have been out of place was the fact the rabbi was there in front of them by their boats, asking them to be his followers. The shore of Lake Galilee was not typically the place for a rabbi to find his followers. What would have been out of place would have been them being chosen. And yet, here they stood, with Jesus in front of them, inviting them to be his followers. They would have known Jesus by this point in time, in some form or fashion. If we look at all the gospel accounts together, this is probably not the first time that Jesus and these men interacted. Uh, For example, if we compare the account in John chapter 1 with the one here in Matthew chapter 4, it gives the indication by the details that they were separate events. Uh, But what matters here is the fact that they were called by Jesus to be his followers. And that same message goes out to us 2,000 years later. Follow me is the call we hear from heaven. How do we respond? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does that look like in the context of our world? I want to go over to Matthew chapter 16 and Mark chapter 8. And uh, through that, it's going to give us some insight into what Jesus is calling us to when he calls us to follow him. Matthew sixteen twenty four through 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. 
Mark 8, 34-38 When he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Here in Matthew 16 and Mark chapter 8, we see Jesus telling his followers what it means to follow him. And this is going to give us a little bit of a framework to dive deeper into the call that we see in Matthew 4 and the call that is coming out to us even today, to follow me. Jesus begins by saying, if anyone desires. I want us to understand that there is an exclusivity to Jesus. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only way to heaven. He says later in the Gospels that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the only way. So there is an exclusiveness to following Jesus. But within that exclusiveness, there is an inclusiveness to that. The path to life is only found in Christ, but the invitation to the path is open to everyone. That's why Jesus opens this up by saying, if anyone desires, that's not counting anyone out. Every one of us has the invitation and the ability to accept the invitation of, if anyone desires to follow me. He continues, if anyone desires to come after, in this moment of following Jesus, there is a realization that this invitation provides us the opportunity to put ourselves in the right place. And that is subsequent and subservient to Jesus. If anyone desires to come after me, this is an invitation to himself. There is intimacy. There is nearness. We're not being called to follow an agenda. We're not being called to follow a program. We are being called to follow a person, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. And then he gives us some qualifications. If you desire to come after me, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and you must follow me. Now, if we look at the surrounding context of Matthew 16, there's a link between what's going on in the previous verses and here in Matthew 16. Peter just confesses Jesus as the Messiah. Then Jesus proclaimed that he is to be a suffering Messiah. And it is out of that realization or out of that proclamation that comes this invitation to follow him. He's giving us the expectation right off the bat that this isn't a cakewalk. It is going to cost us something to follow Jesus. This isn't simply pray a prayer and you're good. There is more to it than that. 
This isn't like walking into a cell phone store, being drawn in by the advertised price on the window, only to find out next month that there are hidden fees and charges that you were not expecting. Jesus is letting us know right off the bat that following him is going to cost us something. And that is what I want to make this episode and the next episode about. I want us to count the cost of following Jesus. Jesus gives us a three-point outline for us to follow. Or if you're a checklist type person, Jesus has given us a checklist to abide by. He is demanding a denial of ourselves. He is calling us to carry our cross. And he is giving us the awesome privilege of following him. So this episode and next episode, we're going to dive in point by point uh, to that and hopefully come out with a better understanding of what Jesus is calling us to here in this passage. And so we start right off the bat, let him deny himself. That sounds real fun, doesn't it? This, this word denial, if we look back at the Greek, it's the word aparnesostho. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, so I probably butchered the pronunciation of that. But it is the word aparnesostho, and it is in the aorist middle imperative. And what that means is it implies that the meaning it is something that needs to be done fully and completely. That's the aorist aspect. The middle is we have an active part to play in denying ourselves, and we're also benefiting from that action. And then it is an imperative, which makes it a command. So what what Jesus is saying here, there's a sense here with this word that Jesus is saying that the denial of ourselves must be a complete and utter denial. There's not room for wavering. There's not room for sitting on the fence. Neither is this asking for a piecemeal denial. It is all or nothing. It is us saying, I surrender all, not part, not what we want, but Jesus is commanding everything. There's also a sense here, looking at the Greek, that Jesus is saying that we need to do this and move on. There is a need to deny ourselves and move on. Don't let what we are denying be our focus, but allow who we are following be our focus. If my focus is on what I'm denying myself. That's going to make me miserable. But if my focus is on who I'm following, that brings me joy. What does Hebrews chapter 12 uh, tell us? Right? It tells us that we are to run this race with endurance. We're to set aside all the weight and every sin that easily uh, just comes upon us. But we look to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. The word for deny is implying a moment in time. Do it and move on. The word for follow is akaluthato. It's in the present imperative active, which for us indicates a continuous action. Our focus is not on what we are denying, but our focus is on who we are following. Perhaps this is what Paul had in mind in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. He says, one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We already mentioned Hebrews 12, uh, but again, the writer of Hebrews there has to be considering this thought that my focus is on who I'm following, not on what I'm denying. If my focus is on my denial, what happens? You know when you tell someone that they can't do something? What happens? 
Well, that becomes all they want to do. They can't stop thinking about it. Have you seen that? Uh, there's this uh, challenge going on with kids, like where the, the parent will leave some candy on the table uh, for their kids and tell them not to touch it until I get back. The parent will leave the room, and this is all being filmed, and you can just see the, the tension in the in the kids' eyes and faces. They're looking at the candy, but they're trying to remember what their parents said, and but they want the candy, and there's this tension. They, they want it, but they, they're not allowed, right? What happens when we are told we can't do something? When we, when we are restricted, it becomes all that we can think about. All of our energy is directed towards that thing which we were just forbidden. If my focus is on what I'm denying, that which is being denied will win the day. It becomes possible to deny ourselves only by focusing on following Jesus. But what am I denying? We have this call of Jesus to follow me, and we, we're hearing from Jesus that to follow me means to deny myself. Well, what am I denying? What is Jesus saying when he calls upon us to deny ourselves? Denying self is not the same as self-denial. Denying self is not the same as self-denial. I am not simply restraining myself from something, but I am utterly and outright rejecting my old self. I am putting my old self to death and denying ourselves. What are we denying? We're denying our selfish desires, our comfort-craving self, our human-pleasing self. We are renouncing all confidence in ourselves and in our righteousness and strength. We are, there is an utter denial of self-centeredness. John Piper states it this way. He says, notice that Jesus introduces here a new self. If I deny myself, there is the me who is denying myself, and there is the me who is being denied. There is a denying self and a denied self. What's the difference? When the old denied self looks at the opposition, shame, suffering, and death Jesus calls for, it says, no, I will not do that. That old self loves human approval, honor, comfort, and life more than it loves Jesus. But the new denying self says to the old world-loving self, You are not in charge any longer. I love Jesus more than human approval, honor, comfort, and life. End quote. This idea of a sense of duality, it's evident throughout Scripture. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. So we see this, the old creature and the new creature here in 2 Corinthians. Romans 8.13 For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so we have here in Romans 8, this again, this duality of, of the flesh person or the fleshly man and the spirit man. Galatians 5.16 Walk in the spirit so you do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. There we see it again. The, the spirit man, this flesh man. Romans 6 and 6 says this, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Galatians 2 and 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
And so we have this denied self that is our old way of living, that is our old pattern of existence, that is the old man. And we have this new denying self that is empowered by the Spirit of Christ within us to walk in this way that Jesus is calling us to, to deny ourselves. So we see this two, these two selves. What's the nature of them? Well, the flesh is the one who follows selfish desires. That's the old man. Colossians 3 and 5 says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Galatians 5, 19-21 says this, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn, forewarn you, just as I forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then there's the new man, one who follows the Spirit. Romans 8 and 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Right? We have denied the flesh. We've denied ourselves with its passions and desires. Jesus' argument here in Matthew 16 and again in, in Mark 8 uh, makes a lot of sense when we walk through it. And I encourage you, if you're listening to this, I encourage you to have an open Bible in hand or, or uh, you know, pull it up on your phone just so you can follow, follow me as we walk through this. So I'm just going to read it again from Mark 8, verse 34 through 38. When he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We begin in verse 34 with Jesus commanding us to deny ourselves. And then verse 35 through 38 expounds a little bit on why we want to do that. Verse 35 says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. It begins with this assumption that we all want to save our life. right? It's a, it's a safe assumption, a, a self, self-preservation assumption is one of our most basic instincts. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. So Jesus is presenting us with a conundrum. It's a paradox based on the same assumption that we want to save our life. What is Jesus saying here? He says, if my focus is on saving my life, self-preservation takes over, and at that point in time, denying self becomes impossible. Self-preservation leads us down the road of human approval, of honor, comfort, and, and things that Jesus is calling us to deny. But if our focus is on following Him, not on self-preservation, that is when we allow ourselves to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. And that is where we find true life. 
Jesus continues the argument in verse 36. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? This is an argument for verse 35. We can escape the self-preservation instinct by realizing that there is nothing worth more than our soul. We can accumulate everything, but it will never amount to the worth of our soul. It is our soul that is eternal. And every one of us, that is true. We are going to exist eternally in one of two places. We will either exist eternally on the other side of this life, in heaven, with Jesus, in his presence, in eternal bliss forever, or we will end up in hell, separated from Jesus for eternity because of our decisions here on earth. So there is nothing worth more than the soul. Verse 37, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? It continues this idea that nothing is worth more than our soul. And then verse 38, Jesus kind of gives us the ultimatum. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes into the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the ultimatum of sorts. It lays down the choice clearly. In the preceding verses, that if we listen to his words, we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, we follow him, then we will save our souls because it's not about saving our life, physical, it's about saving our soul, spiritual. Verse 30, 38 contrasts that by saying if we are unwilling to follow his words, we're going to lose it all. If we're unwilling to follow his commands, to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and to follow him, we're going to lose it all. We're going to lose our souls. Furthermore, we will find that in the end, our shame of Jesus would only be impressing an adulterous and sinful generation. Not a group of people that I want to impress. Denying our flesh follows in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus is not asking us to do something he has not modeled. Last episode, we talked about the temptations of Jesus. Now, the temptations that Satan was bringing before Jesus was very appealing, even in the human nature of Christ. It was an appeal to, to Jesus to achieve what he came to earth to do, the redemption of man, in a way that was not according to God's plan. So even Jesus has modeled for us what it looks like to deny the fleshly desires. Hebrews 4 and 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. How else can we explain what happened in the garden except as Jesus showing us what it meant to deny the flesh? We see Jesus in the garden before he is arrested. Father, let this cup pass from me. We see this anguish and this tension in Jesus. But he finishes his prayer, but not as I will, but as you will. That right there is the essence of what Jesus is asking us to do. It is a denial of our flesh. It is a departure from us being in control of our lives. It is a change in leadership. It is a shifting in desires. No longer am I concerned with what I desire, but I want what he wants. I want my heart to beat along with the heart of the Father. I want my desires to align themselves with the desires of the Father. This is the foundation 
This is what Jesus was calling these men in Matthew 4. Follow me. This is what Jesus is calling us. Follow me. And the first step in accepting that call, as we see here in Matthew 16, is to deny myself. To deny my flesh. To follow after the things of the Spirit, not the things of the flesh. That's the first step. Jesus' next step is to take up our cross. That's not going to make sense to us unless we have already decided that this life is not worth living for myself. I must deny my selfish desires. I must abandon my will to his. And that is the beginning of following Jesus. It is a denial of our selfish desires. It is a submission and a surrender of my will to the will of the Father. Next episode, we'll get into what it means to carry our cross and what Jesus was saying uh, when he spoke those words to uh, to us. Uh, so I hope you'll, uh, you, you'll listen to that one as well. Thanks for listening. Uh, I pray for you, every one of you who are listening. I pray for this. I want this to be a blessing. I want this to be uh, an outreach of the Holy Spirit just moving um, and working as we just dive into his word and just seek to understand what he is saying to us. Um, I ask if you have listened, if you wouldn't mind sharing, if you wouldn't mind uh, rating, uh, so that this uh, can potentially reach a wider audience, so that uh, um, God can perform what he wants to through his word. God bless.